0: Hello and welcome to YHTV's Magical Medical Tour. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Christina Suzuma, and with me is our wonderful medical guide, Dr. Glenn Wollman. Hello, Doc.
1: Hello, Christina. How are you?
0: Oh, wonderful. And you?
1: I'm doing great. And <laughs> greetings, everyone. Welcome to Magical Medical Tour. I am Dr. Glenn Wollman. Along with Christina today, we will co-host Magical Medical Tour as we search another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy for optimal health. And today we have a very important quadrant. We always talk about medicine, but today we're going to talk about health insurance. We did do an episode, uh, episode number 78, with Michael Harris uh, about the Affordable Care Act, but today we're going to be meeting with Gerald Ray Stevens, who is a broker and president of Stevens Associates. So today we're going to find out the real stuff about health insurance, things you don't know and things that frustrate you, we're going to try and demystify. Before we do meet Ray, though, Christina, how do people get in touch with us?
0: Well, at any time during the show, you can feel free to ask a question or make a comment simply by scrolling down on your screen and typing it into that comment box. Now, if you are um, listening to this on a device, uh, your Android, your iPhone, just give us a call at 818-LET'S-TALK. 818-LET'S-TALK. Now, you can do this at any time, uh, a month after this show is up or a year or two, and we will be sure to get your message over to our special guest or Dr. Woolman and shoot you off an answer. Thank you so much, Doc.
1: What do you think, Christina? Insurance, health insurance? You come from Canada. It's yes. a kind of an interesting process here, isn't
0: it? It's really interesting, and I'm still... You know, I've been here, how, 20 years now, and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it.
1: <laughs> well, t- today the head wrapping is over because we have Gerald Ray Stevens with us, and who he is going to uh, kind of demystify it for us, hopefully. Ray is my broker, and Ray actually specializes in Medicare, uh, not the normal insurances, but he certainly knows all about that. Right, Ray?
2: Yeah, we basically do under the uh, retiree health benefits and the individual health insurance, so in both sides of that. All right, so
1: Ray, uh, I want to, as the medical guide, give our audience an idea of where we're going to go. First, we're going to learn a little bit about you, learn a little bit about the training of uh, being an insurance broker and agent, and then we're going to get into some of the real meat of what's going on in the insurance agency and how we can make our own lives better with the appropriate insurance. Is that all right with you? Sure. So let's first find out a little bit about you. What got you interested in becoming an insurance broker? Not only that, starting your own company, but also health insurance. I mean, there's auto insurance, homeowners insurance, earthquake insurance. Tell us a little bit about how you became what you are today.
2: Well, believe it or not, I would tell you it was probably more by chance. I was standing in a you know, I had always wanted to get in sales. You know, literally for as long as I can remember, I had never had an opportunity to do so. And I was standing in a grocery store line and had a had a gentleman behind me that asked uh, if uh, the, and said, "Hey, do you look like you'd be great in sales? Do you want to come up and uh, uh, talk to me on on insurance sales?" And I said, "Ah, sure." So I went <laughs> and talked to him, and uh, you know, of course, uh, started it from there, and you know, pretty much uh, that. that Person, Sergio J, I probably would say change my life forever. So wow.
1: It's interesting what can happen on a grocery <laughs> line, right? Yeah.
2: When you needed a job, you were listening to anybody <laughs> at the time. Yeah.
1: You were hanging out by those uh <laughs> those magazines. Exactly. <laughs> so what kind of training is necessary to become an insurance broker?
2: Well, in there, essentially, they sent us to a, um, a, you know, about a three-month training uh, thing. Then you have to get licensed. And, of course, and I would say that training probably lasted for most of a year of going with other people going through classrooms and, and so on. And even still today, you know, it's in it's every year there is a, a substantial amount of training in each category, you know, both in the uh, under 65 Affordable Health Care Act and the uh, over 65, you know, uh, uh, what is the AHIP.
1: Yeah, they keep changing things. I think that's part of the confusion for yeah. most of us, right? So it must be Absol- more confusing for you. So-
2: Go ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely the one thing is that, you know, and, and that's why those trainings have to take place each year because a good percentage of those plans do change completely.
0: <sighs> wow. Well, like, yeah, I, I hear so many people all the time going, oh, oh, we're on the phone again. Oh, we don't know what to do now. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. All
1: right, Ray, so let's start out simply uh, with... So, what would, if somebody is looking for a broker, and not everyone has a broker, right? Right. Uh, somebody is looking for a broker, give us three qualities one should look for in a health insurance agent.
2: Well, I think that integrity is absolutely essential. Um, experience, you know, when you're dealing with uh, health insurance, you can sometimes be dealing with, uh, you know, uh, enormous amounts of uh, difficulties and, and medical bills. And I think a commitment to clients' needs and not to an, an individual agent just trying to sell a policy. And I think that people can judge that. I think people should judge their or trust their initial feelings of, of that. That
1: well, sounds good to me. All right, so now we've got ourselves an agent, and now our agent is trying to uh, get us a policy. Mm-hmm. So what are, the, what are the top three or five things that someone should look for in their own policy or In policy being, for their family?
2: Yeah, and being in general, I think today, you know, which has changed, is the uh, provider network is now absolutely essential. Uh, no one should buy an insurance policy without making sure of that provider network. Uh, a stop loss, so you know where your losses stop, whether it's a 70% plan or 80% plan or whatever, you know where it stops. Um, having an insurance company that's at least A-rated, so you're not having to worry about um, the financial aspects of that. And, you know, that the uh, deductibles and co you know, that are required under that plan are affordable to that person or that family.
1: Let's break that down a little bit. What it, What do you mean by a provider?
2: Well, the you know what's happened today with the uh, uh, you know Affordable Healthcare Act, it has changed the way that the, the the networks work. Many of the providers, you know, now if people are on Medicare, uh, believe it or not, I think that's an enormous plus because it's one of the largest provider networks there is. Period. But if people are under 65 on the Affordable Health Care Act and so on, there are providers that do not accept, you know, one specific company at all. Uh, and there's providers that, you know, um, are out of network. And those could be major differences in out-of-pocket costs. So when you're talking about the provider, you're either talking about the
1: physician or the hospital, something yes. like that, or the healthcare care provider. That's what you're talking about. You're not talking about Blue Shield as a provider.
2: No, it, it, absolutely. We're the, uh, Blue Shield would be like the company and, you know, and where Blue Shield may not be a, on a provider list for a particular medical center or hospital or an uh, in, individual physician. So as part of
1: finding out the process, someone that lives in a community, uh, let's say someone does not just move to a community and doesn't have a doctor. Do they need to find the doctor first and then find an insurance company that will work with that doctor? Or do they need to find the insurance company first and then try and find a doctor within that group?
2: Well, I think that's a very good question because I I do see that. And, of course, like in our situation, if I looked at Santa Barbara, we know that, generally speaking, there could be one medical center that serves over 60% you know, Mm -hmm. of the people. So we want to make sure that's on that list. We wouldn't really want to tell somebody just coming into Santa Barbara today, hey, go on this one that has, you know, far fewer providers, because we want to make sure that it gives them the most opportunity for that to work out. Mm -hmm. And then we can certainly adjust that down the road, but, but at least it's a starting point.
1: Okay. And then the second thing you mentioned, after a provider...
2: The second thing after the provider would be a stop loss in that policy for, for you know, like in the retiree health benefits, we generally look at 100% plans. So we're not worried about stop loss. We know it's 100%. But for under 65, when people are on the Affordable Health Care Act or, you know, other types of plans, you really want to know what that stop loss is. Um the amount of money, you know, when a policy pays 70%, inevitable you want it to go to 100% so you know that if not-so-nice things were to, to come about, what the maximum amount of money that a person would have to pay out in that calendar year. Can you negotiate that with, with
1: your insurance company or is it, here's our standard and that's it?
2: <laughs> no, that is it. And that's why you're looking at the specific plans because different plans can have different stop losses. Uh, so you need and, and that's why you know making it a part or a judgment within that policy as far as you know what is affordable and what is not affordable to the particular person
1: okay and number three
2: number three on there you know would be an a rated company um, and generally speaking today I mean with the, with the uh, affordable health care act and so on it's driven most of that in the retiree you still have companies that are B-rated companies. Uh, and so I generally, from, from our side, we try to stay only with A-rated or better carriers.
1: So how does someone find out the rating of a company? Do they talk to the broker or do, is is it rated <laughs> like you go to a restaurant and it's out on the window?
2: Well, uh, generally speaking, if they don't have a good rating, they probably don't put it on the window. Uh, but the, the, uh, the thing is, is that you can also, you know, the great, great thing today is the information technology that, that everyone or generally has with the Internet is you can put that company in and ask, you know, what the AM best rating is, and it'll pop up fast. So, um, and, and that's what we do as well. Right.
1: So, okay. So we've got that. And now we're up to number four
2: on uh, number four uh, would be affordable deductibles and copays. A lot of times, people quickly jump to just uh, you know uh, premium, but you really have to make sure that those deductibles and those copays that would be required, you know, are affordable to that person.
1: Uh, and that gets confusing for me sometimes when I see people that get bills, and sometimes they haven't reached their deductible, but money is taken out. Uh, it gets confusing when you get your bill that says this much has been taken out or you haven't uh, met your deductible yet. As you pay for things, you're meeting your deductible, but they're still taking things out or it, you don't the insurance company doesn't pay anything until you reach your deductible. What's how does that work?
2: Well, different type of policies, again, and that, that is, you know, uh, um, there are policies that you pay 100 percent until you meet that actual deductible. Period. Uh, uh, and then there are policies that kind of have a combination of the two where on serious things you would have to meet your deductible, but on doctor visits, you know, like the primary care doctor or the specialist, you know, or even a med center would be at a copay system. So they kind of have that where they merge, merge those together in, in, in many policies today as well. And where do you read that in the policy? Um, essentially, right at the very forefront, you would want, they usually have like a schedule of benefits. Even like under the Affordable Health Care Act, there's an information sheet where it shows you right in that, you know, as far as if it's based upon a copay or if you have to meet your deductible prior to any of, uh, benefits being paid. I That's got usually it. the primary sheet that right, right initially that you should be looking at. And does the copay ever vary or is it always the same? No, the copays, and that's where all the plans. When people are comparing health insurance uh, products, and that's why I say they need to look and make sure that those fit, you know, with their uh, situation as far as from affordability, and they have to balance that out like in a teeter totter, you know, with the the cost of the premiums to have that as well. So, so how do you help someone balance those things out? The
1: premium, the uh copay and the deductible how do you work with someone to do that when you're when they're trying they may have a policy but within the policy they can choose what deductible they want and a few other things so how do you help them figure that out
2: well, we run a comparative analysis. so we t- when we talk to a person, we 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 don't just kind of present policies. We, what we do is kind of find out about the person's individual situation, how many times they have seen a doctor, you know what their concerns are, you know what their affordability is, and then we run a comparative analysis looking at all the various plans, and then we kind of condense that down in, in talking with that person or discussing that with that person to see what plans would be more appropriate for that person at that time. Um, and then, you know, each year, of course, we uh, notify them in the annual election periods, you know, of course, that will rerun comparative analysis if, if their individual situation changes uh, as the plans change or new plans enter that marketplace. Uh, Ray, so we've
1: covered uh, some of the main topics that we've talked about now. So what I want to do now is go into the secret files that only the brokers have that you get for your own family and uh, for your (laughs) friends and relatives. So give us a few secret extra things that people should consider in a policy.
2: I think the harder thing there for people to know, but I think that, you know, the access, the ability to contact uh, the insurance companies um, and, and their response is absolutely essential. I mean, I would always check that out, you know, and we check that out when we deal with insurance companies. Um, And and then, of course, the other side of that is when people are looking for ancillary products like, uh, you know, low-cost dental and vision plans, usually they can get that at that time uh, at at a lower cost if they're adding it into the medical plan uh, in general, so... When you
1: talk about uh, the dental, every dentist that I've ever spoken to doesn't take that. Well so what, what happens there? Uh, are there dentists that do take that?
2: Yes. Yes. And there's two types of dental. I mean, essentially what we look at, there's two types of dental plans today. You have the dental plans that require you know, negotiated rates for that to work very well. Um, and we carry some of those plans, you know, and some of the, the national, very well-known and, and good network plans. Um, but the other side of that is more and more dentists take no no insurance, and so there are the plans that pay without uh, designating providers.
1: Hmm. I see. And same with uh, opto- optometrists. This is for glasses and things like that, because that's correct. If you're, if you're seeing an ophthalmologist, that's covered under your health insurance.
2: Yes, and, and sometimes those come so closely together, and you're a doctor and I'm not, so I, you probably are better to explain those. But um, the, the thing like in there is that I think like on the regular eye exams and things of that nature, um, if you're getting it within the medical insurance and where you can get it at a low-cost option, generally speaking, I think it's a, a pretty good deal. Um, and, and there are a few good vision plans available that are relatively inexpensive for people.
1: Okay. Any other secret uh, options we should look for?
2: No, I think that it's, I I honestly think simplicity is best if, you know, when you're looking at insurance, I think of really looking at it being from simple, easy to use, uh, and understandable. All right. So, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Christina
1: Segovia and many other people come from other parts of the world, and some of these places that they come from have uh, social, what they call socialized medicine, uh, and they've been used to that. And then they come to this country, and everything gets confusing for them. Uh, what advice do you have for somebody that comes from another country that has had all of their insurance taken care of in the past, and now they have to figure this out?
2: Well, I think that's a big and a difficult question because, you know, if for people to think I have to pay for something that I didn't have to pay for, and, you know, uh, it is a kind of a challenge. I think that people have to kind of remember, of course, here you have freedoms and you have the kind of the things where, um, you know, but with some of that comes a cost and it's different. So not necessarily uh, the same, but I also think that it, it gives more immediate access uh, more, you know, transparency that wherever you want to go, whether it's New York or California, if you need to, that, that you could could basically do that. So there are some positives and negatives, but I think ultimately, you know, when people are coming from a socialized country where they didn't have to incur those costs and so on, uh, that is a challenge. I don't think I have anything that will make a person jump up and down with joy about that, so for sure. <laughs> yeah. There's no happy <coughs> insurance? <laughs> and No, uh, that's one you... They're just going to have to accept the differences.
1: So one of the things that uh, comes out when I speak with people that have those issues is they'll go to a doctor's office, they'll, get, they'll give their insurance card, and uh, a few weeks or a few months later, they get a bill that explains something, and it's uh, a price that they weren't expecting. And when they try and talk to the people in the doctor's office about what is this going to cost me, the doctors or the people at the front office never seem to be able to say this is going to cost this amount. And yet what happens, we also find out, this is kind of a complex question, is that sometimes if you pay uh, either at the doctor's office with cash or from your own uh, program, that it may be less expensive than if they build through insurance. So how does someone find out before they decide to have a procedure or to be admitted to the hospital how much something is going to cost them? It seems like the doctors can't answer it, the insurance companies, if you ask them, they can't answer it, but yet when it's time for billing, they have a bill there.
2: Well, no, I think that's a great question, and uh, literally... Uh, I was on the National Health Insurance Advisory Board for two or three terms because of one reason of trying to get open pricing, you know, and because I think in a, in a competitive marketplace, that makes uh, good for for uh, individuals. Um, of course, I wouldn't say the physicians or any medical institution was happy about that, and that certainly didn't pass anywhere. Um, and a lot of that is the fact that, you know, uh, so it's it, it doesn't create the natural competition. You know, one person can't say, hey, I'll do that surgery for $2,000, and another person say, you know, I'll do that surgery for $1,000. You know, so people would have a, a choice. It is kind of the one system of where you go in and you find out later how much those medical bills are. But I do think that there are, when you can go in and you can negotiate up front, and I certainly see this when people did not have – Medical insurance, and they needed a surgery. I have seen twenty-five thousand dollars of medical bills, you know, for you know ten to twelve thousand dollars cash. So it is possible um, to negotiate that, and and even in our our company, I mean, for our clients, we negotiate all the time with medical providers, even on those people's deductibles and copays and out-of-pocket expenses when when they don't have them. So I would always recommend. You know, trying to go in from a you know uh, from a cash basis. If you can negotiate it, it, you're you're going to be in a better position.
1: You're talking right about at the point where you're going in to see your doctor for a checkup or for, because you have something wrong and you may need something. Right at that point, when they when the front office person says to you, "Do you have your insurance card with you?" and you give it to them, at that point you should be saying, "But I would like to discuss with you." What are the words they should use?
2: Yeah, I think that they would want to talk to the business manager and, mm-hmm. and tell them that, unfortunately, they don't have medical insurance. They want to work out a cash negotiated rate on there, and you know, uh, and there it would really start.
1: And what about if you do have insurance? You can still do a cash negotiated rate?
2: Well, sometimes if you have insurance, and that's where people sometimes miss that, is because when you have insurance, that insurance company in general has already negotiated that rate. I mean, there, and that's why you you really want to know an individual that doesn't have insurance. You can, we can see what it was with you know Blue Shield or with Anthem or with United American or whoever. We can see what that end result was, so we know how much negotiated room there was in that, and that helps us when we're trying to help negotiate for our client that didn't, you know, uh, you know that had a deductible. But I think that people should understand that there is a. a a uh, fairly significant uh, negotiation that have already taken place with that insurance company and uh, that provider.
1: Then, if you when you bring that up, and it makes me want to go back to possibly my previous question is if they've already negotiated a rate, so that mm-hmm. means they have a rate. So when you call the insurance company or when you speak to the front office person, and they say, "What is this going to cost me?" and they say, "We don't know." What's the next thing that a person should say? Yes, you do know, or who do I speak to that does know? What What's the next move?
2: Well, and I think you know that person up front. They may not know. Uh, Glenn is that the uh, the 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 one thing is when they run that through their systems based upon those diagnostic codes and procedure codes, uh, and based upon that insurance carrier and all the other information that's put in. I think that's when it kind of comes out. Um, you know, I, I don't think that they really have that on their you know, screen where they can pull it up right now and say, oh, that's what that would be. They could tell you what their standard price is you know, of $200 or $400 or whatever, but the negotiated rate, I don't think that they really know that till they run it through that system.
1: And you're talking about in the office now. What if somebody mm-hmm. call, what if somebody calls their insurance company or their insurance broker? Like, if I would I be able to call you, for example, and say mm-hmm. I'm thinking of having this procedure. What's it going to cost? You'd be able to talk to someone in the insurance uh, area and speak their language and find out and tell me exactly what it's going to cost before I go through it and wait for a bill and say, Wow, I didn't know it was going to cost this much.
2: I wish I could answer that yes, and it's really a very challenging kind of thing because the insurance companies don't want to disclose that, um, and, and maybe there again I, they don't know all the other bills or what exact procedure code would come in, or if there was other you know uh, problems associated with that. So they really stay away from answering any kind of question like that. Where we come into play, you know, unfortunately from our office is almost like a uh, like a an insured or a client is that it's after the fact so what we're trying to do is dealing with challenging things trying to get those negotiated or fixed after it has already incurred
1: yeah and that's I think that, that's one of the biggest frustrations I think that people have Christina do you have problems like that when you're looking at these kind of things <laughs> where you can only find out afterwards it seems to me that uh, there should be a Better way.
0: Yeah, you know what I've run into because I mean I've been very fortunate because I am um, covered by my union, so that I'm lucky <laughs> with that. Um, but even so, because they've changed uh, the the companies, uh, you know the I can't say the the yeah I guess you could say the providers. Um, what happens now is we do get the bill and we do see it, and the charges are higher than they used to be. And uh, you know we do have a copay, but there are sometimes uh, those charges go above and beyond, and we are basically we we have to pay the overage. And what I've noticed is if uh, an individual walks in with no insurance, um, with some of these providers, they are charged at a very different rate altogether from what we see on our statements. And I know this because, you know, I've sent friends who have no insurance to the same providers. And, and wow. I look at their statement, I look at our statement from our insurance company, right? When and ours is like sometimes twice the amount <laughs> of what they're paying direct cash. So it's been, it's been a, very educational for me, but I, I keep shaking my head going, oh my gosh, you know, sometimes, you know, luckily we're covered. But in some instances, I have told friends, just go in and ask them what they would charge you. You know, before you even have anything done, you know the the practitioners themselves. It's very confusing for me. And after so many years of living here, once they change providers, oh my lord, <laughs> it's a hmm. whole new ball game all over again.
2: Ray, any thoughts? Yeah, well, I I think in general, if you can negotiate it, you should. Um, you know, uh, but I do believe that the medical you know community has made it. Um, not something that they want to do.
1: Right. I understand that. All right. Uh, I guess we're not going to change all of insurance at this point. So (laughs) (laughs) let let me go on to a few more specific things. Uh, Let's say I have a client who was diagnosed with breast cancer, for example, and they're Uh, As they're going through, they're still in the diagnostic phase where they have to make a decision about what kind of treatment. And now that we have programs out there that can test part of the genetics of a person to see if this type of cancer is going to potentially be effective with chemotherapy or it's not going to be effective, whether the risks or benefits uh, should be looked at. There might be a test now, a genetic testing, but let's say it's an experimental test and you look at someone's policy and it may not cover that. But certainly the person doesn't want to go through chemo if, if, they, if there's a test out there that they could find that says chemo's not going to work. How does someone get a test done when their policy doesn't cover it sort of in midstream here? Well,
2: that so is a challenging yeah, absolutely, and I think it's a challenging thing, and it's a challenging thing that comes at a challenging time in that person's life, which is mm-hmm. even more amplified. Uh, but that kind of being said, I know like in our specific situation, um, you, we, of course, appeal to insurance companies for our clients. That's a very important thing, and, and certainly we are successful some of the time, you know, of getting things overturned. Not near enough. Um, you know that would make everybody happy. The other side of that though too is understand I know we deal with lots of cancer centers and so on uh, where that we work out to get grants for those people or we work out to get uh, charges written off or um, you know when people cannot afford those services um, you know there's a lot of assistance programs out there and available but you really have to be able to track that down and you have to um ask for it so if you don't have a broker who are the people you ask well then you're going to go into the same thing that business office and you're going to have to lay out your story you're going to have to lay out the situation of what you want and in 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 the best way that i can tell you is you're going to ask for help what can i do how can we get it done
1: Okay, and maybe sometimes if you're working through a clinic or a hospital with doctors, they may have people in their office, or if you're at a hospital, sometimes they have human resources or, uh,
2: you know. And and they have the social workers, and I mean, I think of, you know, like cancer centers and even like with the hospitals and, you know, lots of large medical centers, they have, uh, you know, uh, social workers there that really are designed to try to find things that can can assist those people, um, or to be aware of grants that are available, or you know, um, or in some ways of being able to, to have somebody to negotiate that, you know, if, uh, amount. When you say grants,
1: where, how mm-hmm. do you how does one find out about a grant or something? and and also within that process you know again you just got diagnosed with breast cancer and now you're in a state where you picture the cancer's growing and you don't want to spend the next 6 months to a year looking for a grant time is of the essence so how do people move quickly and
2: find these things yeah Absolutely no. And when I speak of grants, um, you know, many of, I take like the cancer centers because we deal with them all the time. Um, mm-hmm. There are many grants that are given to that cancer center um, and, and many donations that are given to that cancer center specifically for a lot of these reasons. <coughs> when people don't have the funds, need the treatments, uh, have an ineligible medication, uh, or any of those things that can come into play. So it is really working with that business office, working with those social workers there, and you know, trying to uh, to obtain whatever a person can uh, at that time. And you know, but but there is a lot of donations that have been made to a lot of these centers, and uh, there are a lot of grants that were given to them specifically for them.
1: Okay. So let me go through another uh, scenario here. Someone's diagnosed with a uh, a blood leukemia, uh, cancer in their bone marrow and their blood. And they go through uh, an appropriate chemotherapy and it doesn't work. They go through a second chemotherapy type of chemotherapy. It doesn't work. They start looking at other types of pr- procedures. And now the hospital says, well, this is a this is something very new in clinical trial, but uh, we have to check your insurance company. And the insurance company denies it. And that means that uh, there's nothing else that they can give them potentially. And so the insurance company denies it, and that essentially becomes a death sentence. if If the other chemo doesn't work and this is their only chance and they deny it, what happens when something like that happens and you have... Either a broker or you don't have a broker. How do you work with people like that?
2: Well, certainly we go to bat for people and, and I wish I could say that it was always a wonderful, you know, outcome. But we go to bat for people. We certainly appeal anything that we can appeal for that company. And 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 I would say in general, when we're when we're talking to an insurance company, we are really trying to pressure them, you know, to to give in or to change or to modify that or even to add something that not necessarily is completely, you know, right there, a gray area. Um, so we're always trying to challenge that. And that's where I also think that if you if you kind of look at from a health insurance broker, if you're writing lots and lots of policies, usually you have a relationship with people within there to try to tip the table. I mean, something that's clearly not going to happen is probably still not going to happen. But, if we can tip that table to get some of that covered, then of course we would. The other thing is we'll negotiate with the the provider, the medical provider to see if we can't get that at a reduced rate, uh, a reduced amount, and and um, you know do everything that's possible. Um, but the end result, it's not not going to be perfect all the time. I had
1: an interesting situation, and maybe you can explain this to me. <clears throat> a patient was in a hospital was trying to get a, a procedure done, which was, again, they were trying to get a certain drug, and the insurance company uh, denied it. They appealed it. The insurance company denied it actually three times. And the, the family said, we will pay for this out of cash. And the hospital said, we can't accept your cash because you have insurance. So in other words, if a person comes in from another country with millions of dollars, wants the same procedure, but doesn't follow the rules of the country saying you should have, you know, everyone should have medical insurance because they don't have insurance. They can come in and pay out of cash for that procedure. And yet the person who has insurance in the hospital is willing to pay the cash. They won't let them. What's what's that about?
2: Well, I haven't experienced that. You know, and not to say I, I could understand how that could come 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 into to play. And that again, I think that, you know, the harder part is that an you know, an individual if you know if you're diagnosed with cancer, you're going through cancer treatments your life is in turmoil. I mean, you know, somebody's pulled the rug out from under you. And so it's not the best time in your life to try to be negotiating things or trying to ask for something that you need or want or that has been recommended. Again, I think that it is about having the right people that can help negotiate, help get things uh, moving in there, um, you know, hopefully to find a way. And I'm not sure that there is a clear and definitive positive answer, or even, you know, outcome in, in many of those situations.
1: Well, yeah, it's very difficult, and even legally, because as we all know, in the legal system, things could take months to years before something gets resolved, and that person is now gone. And maybe, you know, some people even consider that a strategy by the insurance companies, that if we, you know, delay and deny, that we don't have to worry about it anymore. So well, anything, any go uh, ahead.
2: I think in our case, and we do use that because I think that you know, it is a clear kind of thing that insurance companies want to make money, you know, no, no doubt about that. And so we try to look at it from that basic principle when we're negotiating with insurance companies to get something done is the fact is it's going to be cheaper if you had to pay for you know, X number of medication that you didn't necessarily agree with than to have to go through all kinds of legal battles or everything else and also the battle of public opinion. You know, the thing is, you don't really want to get negative uh, reports out there. We see this all the time in Medicare supplements and so on, where we get things approved that are not even in that policy at times, Mm. because they certainly don't want negative publicity out there. You know, um, and, and, and in today's standards, negative publicity can happen fast with the social media and so on. So generally speaking, we're trying to play on that part of that to get it done and to get it done and and when we negotiate we're looking to negotiate now not you know 3 and 4 months because most of the things like you'd said where you're dealing with are are very serious things these are not things that you can wait till next year to get resolved
1: okay any thoughts on uh, people are going to take a trip, and everyone starts talking about. Well, maybe if I'm going to be, uh, you know, climbing through the Himalayas, I should get travel health insurance or helicopter uh, transportation. Any
2: thoughts on that? Quickly. No, I, I see a lot of people, and I'd say, you know, it, it is. Uh, I, I mean, I think generally it's a relatively inexpensive uh, process and and premium. And so there may be some merit to that. Uh, People would want to check their individual policies to see if they would be covered uh, and to what limits that that would be and what they would have to do. Uh, But I know that, you know, trip insurance or or temporary health insurance overseas or, you know, outside of the country is is generally based upon the day that you wanted the medical benefit. If you wanted it for 30 days, usually that premium is extremely low. So Mm -hmm. people have to balance it out with the degree of risk that they're willing to, to take about long-term care insurance uh, long-term care insurance if I told you when looking back I don't know probably 15 to somewhere between 15 to 20 years ago you know I did you know uh, an enormous amount of long-term care insurance and and I mean literally in one whole year I made a decision that I only did the long-term care and 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 I probably wrote Five times the amount of business that we would normally have wrote. But that being said, there have been so many changes in the long-term care insurance market today that, like the premiums that I had sold back then, are literally probably five to ten times what they are today. You know, uh, there has been such a major increase because they did finally figure out the actuaries on that. They figured out the the uh, costs of doing business and that. So it is it is uh, diminished most of the insurance carriers. You only have a handful of insurance companies that even deal in long term care insurance, and so it has made it difficult. And, and the other process is that people would have to enter that coverage day you know, to get that at a relatively low premium at an early age. But it's at the time when their kids are entering college, you know, and so on, and they certainly aren't thinking about being in a nursing home or, you know, being taken care of. And and by the time that they are in a situation where they think about that, you know, then those premiums get uh, substantial. So it it is something I would say there's a great need for it. But unfortunately, I don't think that the premium um, – is, is always affordable to that person. And the premiums can go up? Uh... Yes. The thing is, is that what happened, like at that time, you, it, it, the, where it was originally written as an as a issue age policy, and it still is today. You know, you buy it at a specific age, it locks in that age forever, which is a good thing. But the problem is, if there is premium rate increases, those could still occur. And unfortunately, in, in looking in the past, every company had the wrong actuarial tables. They were basing that upon something that just was not accurate at all. Mm. Uh, and, and the state insurance commissions did go to all those companies and tell them, get your actuarial tables up to date because we may not allow uh, rate increases. And so that caused just about every one of those companies to to change those policies from you know a $200 premium to a $700 premium. You know, um, you know, and, and that's where you're looking at today. I don't think we have near the probability of having those major rate increases looking forward. But certainly I couldn't say it couldn't happen. Um, you know, but looking at that time, we knew it was too good a deal to be true, to be honest with you. Hmm. Do you have it? I do not have it. And I'll tell you, if I would recommend it, uh, absolutely. And I should have got it at that time. Uh, but I was probably in there. And today, what's happened when I look at it today, Glenn, is that um, if you have any medical conditions, you not only has the premiums went up, but also they understand those risks in long-term care. If you do not meet really exceptional medical criteria, you're not going to be able to get long-term care insurance. Mm-hmm. Christina, any thoughts?
0: Oh, wow. I guess it's time to look into long-term care insurance. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> While my health is still good, knock wood. Okay. Wow. um, um Ray, I do have a question which uh, had always confused me when I when I first came to this country and and I have many people who come to this country and always ask You know, the difference between an HMO and a PPO, and if there are pros and cons to either or?
2: Well, I I mean, the difference of an HMO and a PPO, HMO means that you must get your medical care from a preset or predetermined number of providers. And, And HMO means health maintenance organization, which means that you have agreed that they will be the organization that you will use only and solely if you go outside of that network of doctors or you do something that they did not recommend then that is your responsibility a period mm-hmm. um, where ppo is a preferred physicians organization where that meaning that you can go throughout you know the the region or the country and you can seek um, doctors outside there 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 is preferred Providers, But they are not necessarily associated with just one group or one institution. There could be, you know, thousands of different providers, you know, throughout that program. And so you're, you can pick and choose. You can go to any primary care doctor or any specialist that is a, a, uh, um, uh, on a PPO network. Where on an HMO, you're going to have to see that primary care doctor that, that you have selected or that they have picked. And then that primary care doctor will be the one that will refer to you to, for any additional medical care.
0: Mm. And do you have a preference when people are coming to you?
2: Yeah, and I think you see this more and more today where I, I, I think that uh, the PPO is a much broader thing because if you have something, and I, and I really look at the medical care in our country and the information technology that we have, you know, if, if somebody got something serious, Um, They can really do a lot of research on that and find out that, you know, at at Stanford or at USC or wherever that is, that particular surgeon developed that surgery. So I think that they have a lot more access to that information and they can make more decisions based upon that. And if they have a PPO, they can choose those providers that are not necessarily in this area or in this region uh, and go there and not have to worry about the money.
0: Mm. Well, that's great.
1: Got that, Christina? Oh, yeah. So I have, I have a few more questions. Uh, what are your thoughts on a one-payer system that's big in our politics right now, uh, where certain people think that healthcare should be taken care of, other people uh, think that it should be in the private industry? Uh, and what would that do to insurance brokers if we had a one-payer system?
2: Well, I I, I mean, I think that question, like I said, I was on the ARP Aetna, National Health Insurance Advisory Board before we got the passage of the Affordable Health Care Act. Um, And and again, you know, the uh, reasoning in there is I was in hopes to get Medicare for all people. I Mm -hmm. think that would have been a, a much better system, much easier to implement, and I think that it would not have created the difficulties that we have now with all the networks. Uh, and the providers accepting one plan, not accepting the other, and the confusion and the enormous expense that has come about. And so, and I'm still hopeful that, that that's going to probably happen. You know, whether that does or not, we'll wait and see. Of course, a lot of people are against that because they see it as a single-payer system. You know, where really Medicare was never completely a single-payer system, it, even though it is a single-payer, but it was never meant to pay everything. It was meant to to be around fifty percent coverage, so then people could affordably supplement that, mm-hmm. and and so I think that there's a better way of looking at that. So, you know, I'm certainly all for that. Um, you know, but I'm not sure they're taking my advice on that is in there, <laughs> but but I think that they as the costs and the problems with being able to uh, to ascertain the coverage and and you know so on. I think that that it it still points in that direction. Okay. Uh, One uh,
1: final question before we get to a health tip, and I hope you have one for us. There are many times I worked in the emergency department, obviously, as you know, I think, and most of our viewers and audience know at this point, before I became a medical guide and there were a lot of people that would show up in the emergency department that had no insurance and suddenly they were in there and what they showed up with was not a simple splinter in their finger but something that was going to be horrendous hospital bills and surgical bills and treatment bills. How does someone get insurance
2: after the fact? Well I mean that is something that today I you know I think there was a positive side you know, of the Affordable Health Care Act that if, if um, you know, is that pre-existing medical conditions do not come into play. Um, you know, it, now you also have enrollment periods, so that can create enormous kinds of, uh, uh, you know, problems as far as if that were to occur, you know, outside of those, that, that timeline. Um, but we also have you know, other types of medical plans that are temporary policies that that may be able to come into play. We look at everything, and of course, you know, I think that from any uh, broker that deals really in that market, they're going to try to find every way to fill that in, you know, until we can get to the point when the person can apply for for medical coverage.
1: So there is there are opportunities for people if they show up in an emergency department with no insurance or at a hospital with no insurance and they have something serious they can there are some availabilities out there for them
2: yeah, it just depends on the circumstances, the timing, and so on, but inevitable, we will be able to get them coverage after that, and number two is that we may be able to help them negotiate the rate on what they just incurred
1: oh, that's good. Mm.
2: So is there is there anything, Ray, be, before we get to
1: our health tip, uh, that in preparing for this uh, interview, uh, that you wanted to talk about, but we didn't get the opportunity?
2: No, I think that, I think that we hit everything. I think that it is. I, I do think that a lot of times having the right insurance broker is a lot more important than sometimes people think, because there is no charge for our services in general, uh, and it's the same premiums, and that people, I think, sometimes miss. But we take care of everything, so there is another side to that, you know, if it's done right. And I can't say that everybody does it right, but, but you know, I, we certainly strive to do, to do that. Okay.
1: So from the point of view of uh, an insurance uh, broker, what's your health tip for us?
2: I think generally when I look at this and I've been in the health insurance business for over 32 years I think if I could say one thing that was probably one of the greatest tools in improving our lives and and from a health side is our attitude what we think mm. I believe as human beings you know our mind is our most Valuable and most extraordinary thing, and I think that it can overcome lots of ills. And I believe that if people put their mind to that, their mind works twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week, and doesn't stop to try to achieve that. And so I think that, from a positivity point of view, um, that that is a a very important thing, you know, and especially, you know, when people are in challenging situations. I love that. Didn't expect that.
1: Uh, that was great christine any thoughts
0: oh insurance <laughs> uh, yeah, that seems... you know, it's it's one of those where oh well thank goodness i have this <laughs> you know and i'm so grateful right. but it's also focusing people in the right direction that ever ask or inquire so ray you you've really educated us thoroughly today and and definitely, if we can uh, point people in the right direction, even though you're all the way up in Santa Barbara, it really doesn't matter. I'm sure they could still work with you.
2: Absolutely. We, and literally, we're licensed in 40 different states. So. Oh, wow. That's so the, we, we deal with lots of people and lots of companies, you know, on there. Oh, my so.
0: gosh. And each state has their own rules, doesn't it?
2: That is true. Oh,
0: dear God. <laughs> I'm glad you're doing what you're doing.
2: <laughs> well, I think we have our all have our own niches, and you wouldn't want me doing what you're <laughs> doing. <That's...
0: laughs> oh my goodness! Well, I'm
1: very grateful to our very special guest, Gerald Ray Stevens, an uh, insurance uh, broker, uh, for sharing his wisdom and experience and expertise with us. And I'm grateful to my healers and my teachers for keeping me on my journey. Thank you, Yoga Hub, Christina, and Segovia, for continuing to uh, bring this uh, platform of education and knowledge to all of our viewers. Look forward to getting together again next week as we travel through another quadrant of the healthcare galaxy in search of uh, optimal health. Thank you so much, Ray, for uh, being with us today. And until our next meeting, I wish you all optimal health.
0: Uh, Thank you so much, Ray, and uh, you're you're continually gifting the community with your expertise. And you've got a great team over there, and it's been a pleasure meeting some of the folks over there. And um, thank you, Dr. Glenn Woolman, for hosting another wonderful show. And of course, to each and every one of you for joining us in this new platform of education and information. We're always grateful for your continuous support, and we look forward to hearing your feedback on how we can serve you better. You can connect with Dr. Glenn Woolman through his website, glennwoolman.com, where we encourage you to learn about his metaphor square breath, or you can follow him on Facebook at The Medical Guide. And you can also connect with Ray Stevens through his company website, S.B. Health Insurance, abbreviated. So it's S.B. Health, I-N-S. I'm sure he would be very happy to hear from you and answer any questions that you might have. Now, again, you can always leave a comment, a question right here on the site, uh, if you want to scroll down into the box, or you can also give us a call at 818-LET'S TALK. 818-LET'S TALK. We're always grateful for your feedback, your comments, and, of course, for you spending the time with us. And we look forward to it again. Thank you. And until next time, Namaste. If we believe and if we know that we are not alone, then so many of the fears and and the, the things that feel tenuous to us in our in our lives. Um, it disappears because you know you don't have to decide something on your own you don't have to cre- create or recreate something on your own that you have the possibility of group mind working with you and and assisting you in your discovery of who you are and what you are in your